This episode of the Upper Discussion Podcast is brought to you in part by Whiskey Lane. Launched in Kelowna, BC, and now expanding to Montreal, Whiskey Lane is on a mission to share their obsession with quality food and drinks with growing audiences by keeping the best local flavors on their minds and on their tongues. No matter what your business needs to grow, Whiskey Lane knows how to make it happen. Whiskey Lane, bringing long lines to the producers of specialty food and drinks. Go to whiskeylane.ca to find out more. And that's whiskey, the Canadian way, without an E. Hi, I'm Tom Zalatni, and you're listening to episode 297 of Up for Discussion, a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Every week, we tackle a different ingredient, dish, or style of cuisine, sharing our favorite recipes and learning from our wonderful guests. Today, we are talking all about sauce. Sauce is a pretty broad topic, so we're not going to talk about every kind of sauce under the sun, because that would be really ambitious, Uh, but we are going to tackle a couple of different sauces today, and uh, you know how I roll, this is not going to be the only time that we talk about sauce, because that would be ridiculous. Before we dig in, I do want to take a minute to acknowledge that the studio where I'm recording is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. Uh, I think it's important as a settler that I remember that the lands that I occupy are not lands that I own. Obviously, I don't own them, but also I don't have any sort of entitlement or right to them. Uh, I recognize that they are stolen uh, from the people who were here first, and that that is really shitty. Uh, With American Thanksgiving just around the corner, I am, of course, thinking about that again a little bit more uh, with Canadian Thanksgiving just behind us. It's uh, The the fall is always kind of a a time of year where colonialism is thought about really... uh, intentionally i think at least in in my household i just this past week saw a pastor from a montreal church post something about how they're collecting donations so they can send bibles to a uh, first nations reserve in saskatchewan and i got really pissed off because i think uh if you're gonna send anything to first nations people it should probably be i don't know money some kind of actual reparation, not trying to evangelize them into a religion they didn't ask for. I don't know, just 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 a thought, you know? Don't actively participate in colonization. It's 2020. I feel like if you're trying to be a good Christian, you should really have figured that out by now. I don't know, they're clearly not trying to be good Christians. Anyway, all this to be said, uh, I want to encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and with the indigenous communities thereof, uh, and maybe keep an eye out for things in your sort of circles that seem uh, suspect to you in regard to that, uh, and maybe call them out when you see them happening so that people will at least think twice about the crappy things that they're doing. Anyway, on with the show. No matter where you live in the world, no matter what kind of food you like eating, there's a pretty good chance you're going to be eating at least some of those foods with some kind of sauce. You know, whether you're dipping your french fries in ketchup, your nachos in salsa, maybe you're drowning your spaghetti in meat sauce, or even coating ribs with a tangy barbecue sauce before putting them in for that last 15 minutes on the grill so they get, like, nice and sticky. Most foods just get a lot better when you put sauce on them. Of course, this is maybe controversial. (laughs) Some people really don't like sauce, and I see you, and I hear you. Uh, This episode might not be for you, but maybe it will. You might still get something out of it. You might still enjoy it, even if you're not someone who likes sauce in general. And of course, this is also one of those topics that is way too big to cover in one episode. So like I said before, I'm not going to commit to covering this in one episode. I'm just going to talk about a couple different kinds of sauces today, and I'm going to be calling up a couple of my friends to hear about the sauces that they are passionate about. First up, I'm joined today by the inimitable Chantal Thomas. Chantal is a friend of mine who uh, you may have heard on the show before uh, last year, probably like a little under a year ago, uh, Chantal joined us to talk about things to do in and around Montreal if you're ever here on a visit during non-COVID times. Uh, And uh, today she's joining us to talk about sauce. Chantal is a foodie, an eater, a home cook, and an all-around enthusiast of all things edible. Is that fair? Yes, it is. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks for coming back. How are you doing? 
I'm well, thanks. How are you? I am all right. I uh, We were just chatting before the show, but my listeners don't know this yet. I recently got a job flipping pizzas for a little pizza place here in Montreal called uh, Pizza Mama Sophia. Our whole thing is we make the pizza and you bake it. So I like assemble it. I, you know, stretch the dough out, throw on all the toppings, et cetera, et cetera. And then the customer picks it up and takes it home and makes a pizza in their house. So their house smells like fresh pizza and it doesn't get cold on delivery, et cetera, et cetera. It's awesome. Oh. It's a lot of fun. When you had explained it to me previously, I thought it was something like those good food box where it's like, here's the crust, here's the toppings, and then right. you put it together elsewhere. I think we also sell kits like that, but I'm not 100% sure about that. I've had one shift so far. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Have a couple more shifts. Get back to me. I'm yeah. excited to hear about <laughs> making my own pizza at home. Will do. That, that sounds great. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm uh, I'm officially in the food industry as a as a skilled laborer, I guess <laughs> you could call me, which is fun. I sort of have been feeling like I need to do something like that to legitimize myself as a person with a food podcast. And also I've just, mm-hmm. you know, on TV you see like sweaty dudes with aprons and baseball caps spinning pizza around in the air and you're like yeah that's a job I could do (laughs) and and I am now that sweaty dude so excellent (laughs) congratulations thank you it's a lifelong dream come true I'm Um, so happy for you (laughs) so uh, obviously uh, people have clicked on this episode or it's shown up in their feeds and they've probably looked at the title they know that we're here talking about sauce today sauce obviously can come in many many forms shapes sizes flavor profiles uh, but uh, you have one specific sauce that you were most excited to talk about and I would love to hear about it yes I want to talk about my bathtub pesto okay because I want to talk about it all the time. It is also something that, like, I post it. We make it annually, my partner and I. Once a year, I post pictures of it. And then I have, like, people from high school that I'm friends with on Facebook, but who I haven't actually spoken to since 10th grade, and who are like, I look forward to these photos every year. This is the best thing ever. <laughs> That's fun. In your in their minds, you are just the person who posts bathtub pesto once a year. That's that's Basically. your role for them. That's so much fun. <laughs> yes, that is it. That is what I want to talk about, if that's okay with you. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so for listeners who uh, might not know, I-, I feel like most people know, most people have at least heard of pesto, but maybe you have heard of it or even eaten it, but don't necessarily actually know what goes into it. Uh, for a kind of very quick uh, generalization, it's uh, a lot of basil, a lot of garlic, pine nuts, and uh, usually like Parmesan or something uh, blended together with olive oil. It's it's a green sauce. It's a little bit uh, grainier, I would say, than like a tomato sauce. I have seen versions of pesto where literally every one of those ingredients has been substituted out with something. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's another one of those things where <laughs> all words are meaningless and everything <laughs> is interchangeable. But that kind of might give you a, a base concept of what a pesto is if you're listening to this and going, what is a pesto? Um, so Chantal, what goes into your pesto? What goes into a bathtub pesto? And also, you got to explain the bathtub part of it to us, right? So. Of course, of course. (laughs) So I'll give you a bit of history. Our pesto is fresh basil leaves, garlic, uh, parmesan, lemon juice, olive oil, some salt. And then uh, we do almonds instead of pine nuts because they're cheaper. Fair enough. Quite simply. But it could also be walnuts. It could be sunflower seeds. uh, It could be any other number of nuts. (laughs) that you have on hand <laughs> right. and the reason why it's bathtub pesto is because about so we've been making this for about seven to eight years now uh, nine years ago my partner and I moved to live near Jean-Talon Market hmm. and we the amazing thing about the market that has been really educational for us is learning about the seasonality of foods and that's something that like i had a general idea about like corn that comes up in the fall berries come up in the spring but this is like you walk into the market from one week to the next and you're like oh i guess it's zucchini season because everyone is selling zucchini for two (laughs) dollars okay then might as well buy zucchini because it's the cheapest thing here right and and so we learned that there's a basil season where you walk in the market and everyone's selling giant plants of basil for two to three dollars we're like well then 
let's get in on this pesto business <laughs> since we have this so cheap. And so the first year that we made it, we would take home these plants and we'd wash and clean them in our kitchen sink. And that just ended up being an arduous task of plucking plants, filling up the sink, washing them, emptying the sink, having to do that two or three times that finally we were like, we did that for maybe one or two years. Hmm. And we're like, okay, next year we're just washing them in the bathtub. It'll be way easier. <laughs> right. And so now we just scrub the bathtub and wash like three to six plants of basil in the bathtub because it's just way more convenient than the kitchen sink. That makes sense. But then do you make the pesto in the bathtub after? No, or is it just, it, you just wash it? We just wash it in the bathtub. It's made in a blender. Okay, that makes so much more sense. Because every time that you have mentioned, like we've known each other for probably like a five while. years now. And every time that you have mentioned bathtub pesto, I've never thought to ask. And I've always <laughs> just been like, well, I guess they blend their pesto in the bathtub. That's weird, but okay. I, 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 no judgment, I guess. Okay. Oh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you how relieved I am. <laughs> have you not eaten it? Did you have concerns while eating it? Look, I don't look a gift horse in the mouth, and I don't look a gift pesto in the tub. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> okay, so you wash it in the bathtub, then you you, yeah. you know make it in a blender. Okay, yeah, exactly. The cool. only <laughs> step in which the bathtub is involved is in the cleaning of the basil itself. Okay, I think that's reasonable. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. So, does pesto go back in your family at all? Like, do you have a, a family history of pesto? This makes it sound like a disease. It's not a disease. It's a sauce. <laughs> uh, no, not at all. This was really, actually, sorry. Let me rephrase that. Pesto doesn't have a history in my family. Mm -hmm. Pisto does. Okay. And I learned the difference between a pesto and a pisto, the French pisto, is that it doesn't have nuts in it. The pisto is really just garlic and basil, lemon juice and olive oil, and then you can actually make a soup out of it. Interesting. But I only had this once when I was 13, and my great uncle made it for me when I was visiting my grandfather okay. in southern France. Right. And I've never had it since and I never got the recipe from him. <laughs> so that is my one tenuous familial tie for it. But I, I've had pesto on, on a number of restaurants and at friend's place and you can buy it at the grocery store and it was one of those things of like this is probably cheaper for me to make than to buy as with most foods if we're really honest yeah so then i just decided <laughs> to start making it especially once i found my seasonal three dollar basil plants yeah i mean fair enough that's actually something i did want to touch on a little bit with like pesto and with sauces in general really is that uh, like you said they are one of those things that is and probably this is true of like 90 percent of of store-bought fabricated items uh but like they're <laughs> mm -hmm. cheaper to make on your own than to you know buy them at the store the only thing is you have to be willing to make say a bathtub load of them at a time in order for <laughs> it to be worth your your money and your time investment right because like you can't buy like you can't buy a jar's worth of basil to make a jar's mm. worth of pesto with you have to buy like an enormous tub's worth of basil yeah well one bathtub equals about a gallon of sauce right ish okay okay that's actually a lot less than i thought yeah turns out when you blend leaves they get really small Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I get that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that yeah, had not occurred to me. That, that's really just all there is to it, but it still does end up quite a bit cheaper. I think a smaller, mm -hmm. like, it, you can't buy, like, you have your standard tomato sauce jar that you get at the grocery store, and that's mm -hmm. about half a liter-ish. Sure, yeah. But I feel like pesto is usually, like, half of that. So yeah. it's, like, a cup, and that cup will be 6 to $8. Right. And we'll spend maybe, like, the most expensive thing is the Parmesan, I'll be honest. Sure, yeah. So we'll spend, for about a gallon, it'll be gros max 20 bucks. Sure, yeah, that's what gallon. I was thinking. And, like, more than half of that is the Parm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, that's actually pretty reasonable when you think about, like, you know, $20 worth of jarred pesto from the grocery store is, like, mm -hmm. less than a liter. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I'm making four times that. And of course, we're here, you know, talking about liters and gallons in the same sentence because we're in Canada and nothing means fucking anything here. Um, but, True. Yeah. 
But like a gallon is what? Like uh, it's four liters. Four ish. liters. Okay. It's a little less than four liters. Yeah, that sounds right. So so you know almost almost four times as much if you make it by hand or by blender or by you know bathtub. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> math is hard. That's yeah. not what we heard to talk about. <laughs> no, this is not a math podcast, very specifically. So, so obviously, this episode is not just about pesto; it's about sauces in general. Um, I know that when when Taffer and I had Toby uh, about two years ago, which is. <sighs> just nuts well i don't want to talk about that he's still like a year old we don't need to talk about time yeah also it's covid time yeah. means nothing that's it he's still going to be one by the time we get out of this but uh <laughs> when when toby was first born you were one of the many people who brought us uh wonderful you know pre-made food so that we didn't have to cook for the first couple of weeks uh it was awesome and i remember you brought i think meatballs and like a, a nice tomato sauce that was like uh, maybe like a pork based tomato sauce Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about like other sauces that you uh, sort of specialize yeah. in? So um, there are three sauces that my partner and I make annually. We make a massive amount of about a gallon's worth each time, and then we'll freeze it and then eat all year long. Okay. Uh, so the bathtub pesto is obviously the biggest and most important one. Mm-hmm. In the springtime, I make a scape pesto, which is garlic flour pesto. Ooh. Uh, which is same thing like garlic flowers, parmesan, almonds, and then olive oil and lemon juice, and that's it, and blended it up. Mm. Uh, and then the tomato sauce, we actually learned from our friend's mother, who's Italian, and it's an all-day thing. Uh, we are not at the level yet of starting from the tomatoes themselves. Sure. We know people that will take the raw tomatoes and spend a whole day like boiling them, simmering them to make like the coulis. I don't know how to say that in English, but I'm in Montreal, so it's a coulis. Yeah. Uh, so we it's still a coulis. Is it? Yeah, or a coulis, I guess, if you're going to yeah. Americanize it. But yeah. Okay. Well, English makes no sense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, a lot of a lot of English food words come from French. That's true. Great. Yeah. So I'm just going to keep on pronouncing it in French. <laughs> yeah, you're good. So again, we live in Little Italy, so we go to the Italian grocery store and we'll buy the pre-made coulis, which is like a dollar a jar. Sure. And we'll buy about six of those, so that ends up being, again, about a gallon. Right. <laughs> Throw in some meat ends, like pork bones, some like a pig's foot, a little bit of veal, some onion and carrot and celery and garlic, and then you just let that simmer for a whole day. Oh, cheese rinds. Actually, that's the mm. secret ingredient. So the same Parmesan that we'll use for our two pestos or really any cheese that we'll eat year-round, when you get to the end bit that's too hard to eat, we put that into a baggie in our freezer. And then when it comes time for tomato sauce, we dump that entire baggie of cheese ends into the sauce. And it just completely melts away to add this really lovely rich cheese flavor uh, while also not wasting any of the cheese that we had bought previously throughout the year. Because, again, it's expensive, yeah. <laughs> as mentioned, for the pesto. Yeah. So I guess we're getting the most for our buck. <laughs> <That's> actually, <laughs> that is actually a good uh, a good little pro tip. Um, I try as often as possible on the show to like highlight ways that people can spend money in smart ways or like use their ingredients kind of more fully, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that is something you can do with parm uh, or, or with... Um, Really, any like Anything. rinded cheese. Uh, if it's got a hard rind on the end, don't throw that out. Save it. Make a soup stock out of it. I find, <laughs> I find, if you get like one or two, so you know maybe over the course of several months of cheese usage, depending on how much parm you like on stuff, or in my case, like a couple of weeks. Uh, you yeah, know, I was gonna say one or two over a couple of months. <laughs> yeah, we are not talking the same quantity here. <laughs> well, you know, maybe they're buying different sizes of. of Mm-hmm. wedges or whatever um, but the point is yeah you save those toss a couple in whatever soup stock you're making and it just it really brings out this like this powerful extra oomph to it you know it's it's yeah. like am i right to say that it's like it gives it a bit of an umami yeah yeah i'd say that's completely accurate yeah it's I've never it's tried like it having for parm soup. but, but yeah, you don't exactly. have to grate it it's it's lazy Big. parm <laughs> it's cheap lazy parm yeah of stuff you were going to compost anyway exactly might as well instead throw them yeah so i've never actually done it with my soup stocks because mm-hmm. my soup stocks tend to just be roasted bones sure, and then yeah. like aromats uh but yeah i save it for my tomato sauce every year 
Nice. Now, yeah, what so point? That's, uh, that's at what point does the tomato sauce end up in the bathtub? <laughs> uh, probably once we graduate to the level of using, of starting from the tomato itself, mm-hmm. I assume that they would have to be washed in the bathtub. Have you guys, uh, have you grown tomatoes yet? This was my first year growing tomatoes. How did and it go? Yeah, I saw that Teffer was having issues yeah. growing them this year. <laughs> so we have a raised garden bed, mm. so I'm already at a advantage over growing it in pots sure ours went wild and they went crazy and they did super well until we got that terrible cold spell at the end of august and then i get the impression that no one's tomatoes really recovered well from that (laughs) right yeah that's fair no yeah i i wasn't sure if it was like uh i mean obviously yeah we we were growing our tomatoes in pots on our balcony they got sun for half the day and not for the other half of the day like i i Mm. cannot think of you know less ideal conditions for our tomatoes <laughs> to have been growing in. Uh, so I'm not too surprised that ours didn't do crazy well, but also like, I don't know, it was a weird summer temperature wise. Like it never really got that hot and it was never like, it didn't feel like summer for most of the summer here. Uh, we didn't really talk about it because no one went outside, but like it didn't really <laughs> feel like summer. So like, I I don't know how that would have affected like tomato growth in general. So I was curious. It was more an issue of summer I get full sun on my yard, so right. that wasn't an issue. The bigger issue is that we didn't get really get a spring. And, mm. you know, climate change in Montreal, from what I've observed, is that we go, I'm going to be consistent this time and stick to Celsius, <laughs> but we'll go really quite suddenly from like one week it is four degrees and then the next week is 30. And there's no real transition time that like winter goes from like minus 20 in March and then is like we get a cold and rainy spring that's two or four degrees for all of April and then most of May and then all of a sudden it's 30 degrees and that's 30 degrees so the seedlings don't really have a time to start and then all of a sudden they're expected to like go full throttle right yeah naturally Yeah, so I had a lot of issues in general with my garden because my seedlings, you know, it was hard to figure out when to plant them. And then once you planted them, it was still cold and sad and gross outside. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, just like massive amount of sunshine. So, yeah, I was telling a friend actually that I felt like, especially this year with the pandemic and how difficult it was, uh, I'd feel gross and unhappy and go outside into my garden feeling gross and unhappy and be like, oh, okay, I feel validated. I'm not crazy. Like, you also feel gross and unhappy. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah, it's, yes. it's a solidarity thing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, for any listeners who were confused about what uh, Celsius is, uh, when Chantal said 30 degrees Celsius, that's uh, 303.15 Kelvin, just to clarify that. <laughs> super helpful (laughs) do you have like a we're gonna we're gonna slowly get to the wrapping up point um do you have a favorite sauce that you've eaten that you didn't prepare like maybe from a restaurant or maybe you went to a friend's place and they like wowed you with some kind of sauce they made oh man you know i am not good at cream sauces and i love cream sauces that is something my partner has kind of fine-tuned their alfredo sauce okay so that it's very good but it's not like restaurant quality sure and like not to toot my own horn but my pesto and my tomato sauce are pretty damn good <laughs> like i am happy eating them over a restaurant pesto and tomato sauce right but a cream sauce i'm just i don't even know where to start they really blow my mind and i would love any pointers i know you're supposed to start with the bichamel mm-hmm. and i can make a pretty solid mac and cheese starting with the bichamel right but i know you already had an episode on mac and cheese so we, can we did we did so we're that. it was great forbidden to talk any further about mac and cheese obviously <laughs> clearly yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah i uh, to be honest i have not done a ton of white sauce myself um i did a little while ago uh make a sauce that was like oh god what was it i reused we had some chicken left over it was like grilled chicken from something uh possibly i just grilled extra chicken the night before and i threw it in the pan with like mushrooms and some asparagus and probably like garlic and onion and maybe celery um Mm -hmm. and then i got i hit it with a little bit of uh like cooking cream and maybe a little white wine okay but i was honestly i you know i was kind of just 
screwing around because I like <laughs> it was one of those meals where I started off making something and then realized like oh crap like I didn't we don't have like tomato sauce or anything <laughs> but I already put on the pasta and now I have to whip up a sauce really quickly and like what am I gonna make a sauce out of and it turned out really delicious and I wish that I had mm. like actually actively paid attention to what was going into it but that sort of experimental kind of vaguely chicken mushroomy sauce was the only white sauce I've ever actually made so <laughs> I'm uh I mean not the one to great. ask here yeah <laughs> I also strongly relate to like I made this and it's amazing I have no idea what I did yeah I- like, ugh. Well, it's one of those things where I watch so many cooking competition shows and you kind of, as you watch enough of those, you start to get an idea of like, people will get thrown ingredients that they're not necessarily expecting on those kinds of shows, right? I'm thinking like Guy's mm-hmm. Grocery Games or like, we just finished chopped. watching, uh, yeah, Chopped, Beat Bobby Flay. We just watched the American Barbecue Showdown, which- uh, <gasps> So good. So good. And a shout out to the producers of that because I thought it was going to be like burgers and steaks and shit. And don't get me wrong, there was. But also they like go so deep with it and there's like historical cooking where they're like mm-hmm. you know here use only ingredients and and tools that were like indigenous to North America or like mm-hmm. you know here cook something from the antebellum period or like uh, they did an international challenge it was awesome it was so much more yeah. in depth than yeah. I expected um but you know you watch stuff like that and these chefs who like know what they're doing <laughs> will be throwing yes. ingredients that they're like not familiar with and they have to figure out how to do it and it shows a real understanding of process right which um a, a little while ago i had simon Majumder on the show and he mentioned like understanding the process behind cooking the under- understanding the process behind cooking specific types of ingredients and like mm-hmm. how one thing works and being able to find a new ingredient taste it kind of look at it and say oh that's similar to x y or z and i know how to make x y or z so i can do that with it once you kind of get that kind of thing with cooking you can sort of start to screw around and experiment a little bit and figure it out Mm. and so you know you watch enough food shows and you accidentally make a white sauce one night that kicks butt (laughs) and have no idea how you did it that's i i completely agree with that when it comes to like ingredients because yeah, I loved watching that show, and what I thought about was the immigrant ing- experience of like, well, I can't find these ingredients to f- make this dish that I make back home, mm. but this tastes similar to it, so I'm going to make a sauerkraut that is with uh, Napa cabbage, because sure. I can't find a different cabbage, for example, or right. kimchi using uh, other radishes beside daikon, because I can't find daikon. Right. Again, a random thing that like similar enough but I'm going to use my own process and I guess like with a white sauce I'm lacking that process right <laughs> yeah just, I don't know how, where to start <laughs> I know how to use cream <laughs> don't know how to use it in the sauce I I think that it maybe starts with a roux and I milk. mean I get that I think you, you, okay yeah it's like I think you make a roux and then you throw some milk or, or cream into it and then, I don't know, Wikipedia right now is telling me that uh, a lot of recipes include salt and nutmeg as the seasoning base, so that might be worth okay. a shot. Um, but yeah, no, I uh, I really, I mean, like I said in the mac and cheese episode, I'm too lazy to make a bechamel when I'm making my mac and cheese, so I just crack Fair open enough. a can of cream of mushroom soup and it gets the job done. Fair enough, ma- Fair maybe enough. I'll add that to my list of things to get good at this year, you know? I, I've already I mean, decided I want to get into baking. Maybe I'll also get good at making white sauce. I make my mac and cheese starting with a bechamel, and it takes as I start the water boiling at the same time that I start the sauce, and the pasta is done when the sauce is done. That's the best. Like, the timing is perfect. So when COVID is over, I can come over and show you how I do it. Sounds good. So, <laughs> listeners, I'll be learning how to make a bechamel sauce in 2024. <laughs> oh it's so sad i am slightly more optimistic than that i think 2021 Mm. 2022 we'll see something eventually 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 one day (laughs) yes exactly oh my goodness uh well chantal uh we're almost out of time so i want to give you the chance here to uh promote anything that you want to promote leave any sort of final words of wisdom for listeners uh maybe about bathtub pesto maybe about (laughs) another kind of sauce or maybe just for life in general whatever you got um i don't really have anything to promote on my own um i have to say one thing with regards to the american barbecue showdown again the episode on historical methods of of cooking i thought they were pretty okay at how they handled the indigenous context Mm -hmm. and the terminology that they use 
And uh, I know I mentioned this last time on the, on the show, and I know that you always do a territorial acknowledgement, and mm -hmm. I think that's awesome. And I also appreciate that you encourage people to follow up on that. And I think it's easy to stop at words of, oh, well, I'm educated. Oh, I became aware. But what are you doing next? Right. Uh, and so I know these are hard times, but I would really strongly encourage people to check out uh, their local friendship center or indigenous-based work that's being done and throw them a couple dollars a week or a month even. like Support you and your Patreon is $5 a month. Maybe also put $5 a month towards your local friendship center and all the hard work that's being done or indigenous center or, uh, you know, for your American friends, your American, Native American powwow this nearby or organization uh money goes a long way for yeah, sure definitely i will uh for ease of access for people uh i will include some links in the description here uh especially for ones that are you know close to home for us because i know <laughs> where those sites are uh, but if i also stumble across like a larger directory i will link that in the description as well because i probably a larger directory of friendship centers exists that seems like a website that uh, should exist yes. It's a national thing across Canada. I don't, don't know if it exists in the States. I don't mm -hmm. think it does. Um, but yeah. Oh, actually, what I can do quite easily, there's an American podcast called All My Relations. It's an indigenous podcast uh, done by Adrian Keene and Malika Worldwar. And it's amazing. Uh, all about relevant issues in indigenous peoples today all across North America. Cool. I'll uh, I'll dig up a link to that and throw that in the description as well. Please do. Thank Sweet. you. Well, Chantal, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. I uh, look forward to eventually being able to eat lots of food together again. One day. One day. <laughs> All right. Take care. <laughs> Bye now. So, of course, in the first half of the show, I shared one of my dirty culinary secrets that I have never made a white sauce or even a roux from scratch, and that usually when I make mac and cheese, I just open a can of cream of mushroom soup and dump it in because I'm lazy. Now, there's a decent chance that you're listening to this and you haven't made either of those things before either, but you're not the one hosting a food podcast and you're not the one recording an episode about sauce. <laughs> so in order to, uh, you know, relieve myself of some of that shame and in order to educate myself and grow as as a person, uh, I've asked my next guest to phone in and give me a quick lesson in ruse and white sauces in general to uh, help me feel like less of a failure in my own eyes. So uh, the person I'm calling up to help me out with that uh, challenging feat of self-confidence, I guess, uh, is none other than Elizabeth Nivine, one of the producers of October and Fish, a ridiculous, fantastic podcast on our network that you must absolutely check out when you finish listening to this. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Thanks, Tom. Uh, excited to be here. This is actually my first podcast interview ever. Whoa. How does it feel? It feels like most other interviews. Slightly nerve-wracking. Fair enough. But uh, excited to be here also. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this worked out nicely. You guys just joined our network like maybe a month ago when your show launched. And uh, I was like, oh, I really want to make sure that I get someone from their team on the show soon so that we can chat a little bit more and like get to know each other a little better and like do some cross promotion because that's what you do when you've got a network and uh i was looking for a second guest for the sauce episode and i just shot you guys an email and i was like any chance any of you feels strongly about sauce of any kind any any way shape or form uh and you wrote back and said that you actually uh conveniently <laughs> feel really strongly about ruse and white sauces which is perfect because in the first half of the episode Chantal and i talked about how i don't know how to do that <laughs> so uh yeah, give me a crash course. What am I doing? How do I do it? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's really wild how things work out like that, eh? Okay, so, like, the basic thing with a roux and with white sauces and with, like, the French mother sauce, I don't know, it, it get, it's like a branching thing, like when you play a, a choose-your-own-adventure game. But uh, with a roux, first off, you have flour and a fat, basically, in equal parts, and you cook them on a stove, usually, is what I do. It gets pasty, basically. And then the paste is the roux. I wouldn't call myself like a culinary expert or anything, but um, it's actually for me anyway, surprisingly easy to pull off. It's something I would make a lot uh, in my apartment too when I was low on money. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it sounds like it's something that like is pretty like budget effective, right? If you mm -hmm. just need some kind of fat and some flour. 
Yeah, I would usually use uh, butter, mm. but you can also use oil. And if you use uh, shelf-stable fat, the roux itself is also shelf-stable. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. So if you use butter, you don't really want to keep it around too long, but you can, like, make roux and then, like, let it cool into, like, these little cubes, and then it's kind of like having a little bouillon cube or something. Oh. It's like a sauce light. That's smart, yeah. You could, like, pour it into an ice cube tray and freeze it. Yeah. And so you can use that as, this is basically the extent of what I know about a roux is that you can mm-hmm. then use it as a base for like millions of other things, right? Basically, yes. Yeah. If, I mean, if you ask the French, there's, shouldn't have started that because I don't remember what they're called. There's five of them. There's the white one. There's the other white one. Uh, one made with stock and one made with uh, dairy. There's the brown one. There's the tomato one. And then there's the fifth one. <laughs> <laughs> these are the five the five official sauces the yes. the white one the other white one the one made with dairy the tomato one and the other one yeah would the other one be like a gravy kind of thing or i guess that's yeah, the brown there, one there's a there's a brown gravy one and then there's a white gravy one that's made with like a stock like chicken stock or something usually okay okay which is the base of it but yeah bechamel is one of those and right. that's the dairy one is your family french no. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what? Not I, at all. I feel silly. Usually I start by like asking my guests questions about themselves and don't just dive into tell me a recipe. So I'm going oh, well, <laughs> to get to that part now because now I feel silly. Uh, what What's your like culinary background? What's your, you know, what's your relationship with sauce, with, mm-hmm. with white sauce? What's your family relationship to sauce? Kind of yeah. t- tell me, tell the, the listeners about yourself and your sauce. My sauce? is hot Whoa. um no <laughs> uh well i grew up in like a baking and cooking household mm. uh so like we don't make everything from scratch or, re- or anything but um we would cook things and bake things and stuff so um since i was a child i've been like comfortable in the kitchen i'd say right uh, i've never taken any classes or anything but you know you pick up stuff as you exist in this <laughs> life creating food for oneself and others <laughs> We'd have these really big uh, dinner parties for holidays uh, a couple times a year. And uh, I also come from like a bi-religious household, I guess. I mean, I'm Jewish, but my mom's uh, Christian. Mm-hmm. So we have lots of holidays. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Jews and food, uh, kind of a big thing. Most of our holidays revolve around eating sure, or yeah. not eating, yeah. except for the ones that revolve around trees. Right. The three categories of, of holiday. Yeah. <laughs> eating, not eating, and trees. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> there's some overlap. It's kind of a Venn diagram. Okay, so so lots of uh, lots of cooking and baking in your house growing up. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. I feel like when you live in a house like that, it's inevitable that some stuff passes on to you, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm also the eldest child of my family unit, so I was like deputized relatively early <laughs> as a helper. <laughs> right. Right. Naturally. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of the relationship I've cultivated for myself with rue and with bechamel was really something i found as an adult later on interesting what prompted that honestly moving out because uh, when i was living at home uh as a teenager and as a young adult there was always like food around i didn't have to do grocery shopping all that much or at least not on my own uh and i'd cook dinner sometimes but it wasn't like always on me the way it is when you live on your own right sure yeah and so yeah. When I moved out, I realized that even though somewhere in my head there was a list of like all the dinners and stuff that I'd prepared or helped prepare or whatever throughout the years, I couldn't conjure that list consciously. And I was like, fuck, what do I make for dinner? <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Just every night. It's, it's eternal. It's like everyone figured this out figures this out at some point I suppose but the what do I make for dinner endless dilemma had begun for me and I wasn't a fan. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I get that. When you when you first move out, you go from, you know, maybe you helped out with dinner a little bit, or maybe mm. one night a week you were in charge of dinner, right? Yeah, and kind. then you move out and all of a sudden it's like, oh crap, I have to feed myself constantly. Not just dinner, I have to eat three meals a day, every single day. And like, sometimes you get lucky and you live with someone who like also cooks and you share food, so you don't have to think about it every time. But like, most of the time as an adult, you're going to be stuck thinking about what to eat constantly. Yes, it's constant and it's exhausting. <laughs> and so that's why, <laughs> and that's why I'm guessing you learned to make a roux because it is such a, a good start to then figure out the rest of the meal. Yeah, really it is. Um, 
And it's also something that I find even a little bit meditative because like officially you're not supposed to cook it that long most of the time. If it changes color too much, then you've fucked it up. Okay. But um, I found for myself that actually I kind of quite like the, there's this like nutty quality that um, the roux develops if you cook it longer and you brown it a little bit, mm. which I quite like. And something else about roux is that the longer you cook it, the thicker it makes the sauce hmm. that you turn it into. Because when you add liquid to the roux, you like swish it all around and then it turns into a sauce magically. It thickens uh, because of the roux bit. Um, so the longer you cook the roux, the more effective it is at thickening Interesting. later sauce right. to a point. Sure. Yeah. Because I'm sure that at some point it might burn as well and then yeah. not be effective for much. Yeah. You have to stir it. This is a really um, slapdash recipe it's coming at you in very many small steps uh separated by time <laughs> that's okay <laughs> i i think my goal here is really just to kind of understand what a roux is and and what oh, its, yeah. its purpose and function is more than mm-hmm. to get a, a concrete recipe so yeah no it's it's just it's really versatile and it's simple at least for me uh it's two ingredients you put it in a thing doesn't matter what shape the thing is you just put it in there and you swish it around for a while with a spatula or a spoon, or a knife, or whatever the hell you want. Um, And then it gets clumpy, and then you pour something else in it. I would usually use cream, just because, you know, more fat is always a good idea. Sure, yeah. (laughs) And you can put whatever you want in it. You could cook some onions and slop those in. You can just fill it with garlic powder, and that's it. You can put lots of spices, or almost no spices. If you use salted butter and you make a small enough quantity you don't even really have to salt it that much especially if you you're doing it with pasta and you salt that water too right well i'm a firm believer that you should also season your noodles before putting the sauce on them mm-hmm. like you know you strain it you throw some salt and pepper and oil on there mm. then you get the sauce going oh tricky i've never considered that before i always just try and get all the flavorings into the sauce mm-hmm. yeah um, well well that's it because then it, it builds layers a little bit right yeah because it's no, like, a good idea. Uh, yeah, it, it's like if you have a burger and the patty is just straight up ground beef, it's not going to mm-hmm. taste like very much, mm-hmm. even if you, I mean, it'll taste like whatever else you put on the burger. But right. if you've got, you know, seasoned patty, all of a sudden the burger is like stepping its game up a little bit. I, I like to think yeah. it's the same thing yeah. with noodles. That's my, that's my personal philosophy anyway. I might just be wasting salt and pepper. I mean, you're <laughs> still eating it, so I can't see how it's really a waste. There we go. That's the spirit. <laughs> I'm going to try that. <laughs> Um, so when we were first talking about recording this episode, uh, I have I have this written here. It's a quote. You said, I admit I have some opinions about roux and how bechamel isn't a cheese sauce. <laughs> so I have never thought of bechamel as a cheese sauce, but let's set the record straight right now. Bechamel, not a cheese sauce. What is a bechamel? Well, a bechamel is, is basically uh, what I've haphazardly described to you thus far. <laughs> right. Uh, it's a roux-based white sauce. The oil usually is butter, uh, flour, and then I like to use cream, but not cheese. Right. Some, I mean, I haven't encountered this that often, but I have encountered it enough that, you know, like if I had a nickel every time, I wouldn't have much, but it's weird that it happened more than once. <laughs> it's not a cheese sauce. Like you could put cheese in it and turn it into a cheese sauce, sure. but the bechamel itself has no, it's not cheese. Right. Like, At its core, it is not cheese based. Yeah. Now, you can add cheese. Can you use it in a mac and cheese? Absolutely. Absolutely. Does it pair nicely with, with cheese? Sure. Yes. Is it the base for many a delicious cheese sauce? Yes. Yeah. 100%. But it's the step before the cheese sauce. Right. <laughs> That's an important distinction, I think. Sometimes people like to try and skip that step. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm a pedant, but <laughs> it just it seems like a way to get confused because if Two people are saying bechamel and one of them thinks that it always has cheese and neither one has a plan that doesn't involve cheese you might run into trouble right well yeah i think i think with food words have to mean something right yeah we um we had an episode about soup a while ago and uh mm-hmm. one of my guests brought up you know the 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 age-old question of like okay well if soup is just some kind of liquid with you know usually some kind of stuff floating in it is cereal soup and it's like (laughs) at a like on a sort of platonic level sure maybe but like 
shut up, you know, <laughs> but with, with something like, you know, a roux and a sauce and a bechamel, I do feel like at this point, these kind of things we can give like a strict definition to. And obviously you can kind of add stuff to it, but the, I feel like you can be pedantic about the like base, like base understanding of what something is in this kind of situation. Also, I mean, is a chicken a human being? By some metrics, yes, but usually we decide on no. You Wait. know, it's the same thing. By some metrics, a chicken is a human being. <laughs> yeah, there. I can't quote exactly who because I'm bad with names, but there's this um, quite famous old uh, Greek, I believe, philosopher who was trying to come up with a definition for like what man is. Okay. Uh, and so, like, people kept like coming up to this guy and be like, "Okay, but what about this though?" And so he had to like really try and figure out something. And what he came up with was like bipedal without hair all over it or something. And so someone brought him a chicken and it's like, is this a man? There's probably, I think I'm missing some, some nuance there. Hang on. I'm <laughs> yeah. Now I'm man. trying to, now I'm trying to find this. Yeah. <laughs> I just Googled is a chicken a person. And uh, the first oh. thing that popped up is www.yourdictionary.com giving 35 <laughs> definitions of chicken. And I'm going to tell you the, th- the two that it quotes in this in the preview on Google are a timid or cowardly person, which is a definition of chicken I've heard, and the other is a young male homosexual, which is not something I've heard. Really? I wonder if yeah. it's like archival or something. Maybe. I haven't heard that either. Yeah. Okay. But here. So it was uh Plato. Everyone well, most people know Plato, he's a very stand up famous guy. And then Diogenes, who's a shit. Um <laughs> his name was Diogenes the Cynic. And so Plato's definition uh, was that man was a featherless biped and Diogenes plucked a chicken and brought it to Plato and was like, so this is a human then. <laughs> okay, so a, so a, a, a feather-plucked chicken is a human. Yeah. Okay, that's very specific. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I guess all the chickens we eat are, oh. Uh, is this cannibalism? Is it? Only I mean, if no. you ask Plato. <laughs> So we've talked about what a bechamel is. You've you've clarified for me what a roux is. So what for you? We're going to get to the kind of personal side of it now. You know, we're all over the place here today, obviously, because it's been a long day. Uh, it's been a long week. Tell me about it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, homemade sauces aside, what is your favorite kind of sauce? It can be something you've made yourself. It can be something someone has made for you. It can be something that you've gotten at a restaurant, whatever. Do you have a sauce that stands out in your mind as like that's awesome i would eat that all the time i don't know if i could choose one sauce it's like hmm okay tournament style let's figure out the best sauce (laughs) yeah exactly uh, right here (laughs) we're gonna have five heats and (laughs) we're here all night well something i had recently that i really like a lot is a cranberry sauce i suppose sure cranberry sauce a staple of thanksgivings everywhere something i like a lot about the one I had recently is that it has a uh, marmalade in it. Oh, so it's a bit uh, citrusy. Sure. And the cranberries are mostly whole. Like it's not. I'm yeah, because I'm speaking from a place of not knowing that many different cranberry sauces. Like sometimes I'll see a cranberry sauce on TV, or <laughs> like it'll be more jelly-like. Sure. And I'm yeah. like, huh. I wonder what that's like because you know we've got this like Danish recipe. From my mom's side of the family, mm-hmm. I think it is, that we use. Yeah. So, I mean, you said homemade sauces aside, but I think it does end up being a homemade sauce because I'm big into, like, family nostalgia and heritage and stuff like that. I like that. And also that. just what I'm used to. <laughs> I, that's interesting. I, um, so, so on the, like, cranberry sauce that looks like solid, you know, jello almost, uh, I think that is a, like very american staple of like a a thanksgiving dinner um Mm. and you know it's funny that we're talking about thanksgiving because like thanksgiving is problematic thanksgiving is a a holiday that celebrates colonialism and like we we need to find ways to decolonize that and and there is nothing wrong with sitting down and eating a nice meal with your family and and talking about the things you're thankful for but we definitely need to like eliminate the sort of narrative behind the origin of it you know what i mean um absolutely <laughs> so this time of year exactly. i think about this a lot <laughs> um, but yeah the um coming to the the 
uh, cranberry sauce side of it. I have friends who grew up in the States, and for them, the idea of a homemade cranberry sauce at, at Thanksgiving dinner is just unheard of because that that canned log of, of mm. you know, clear jelly cranberry sauce is like a sacred item almost. Um, mm. But yeah, I also grew up with more of a like cooked, made by hand cranberry sauce. I've had the Jello thing. I think both are pretty good. I'm not mm-hmm. a huge cranberry sauce person, um, mm. but I think that it's essential <laughs> at the same time. Because um, I think the the trick with cranberry sauce is that it is the acid that binds the whole Thanksgiving dinner together. And mm. without it, you just have a bunch of disparate elements on a plate. Yeah, well, that's actually pretty cool, considering this is the sauce episode. You're talking about acids binding together different things. Have you had an episode on dressing yet? <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> Salad dressing? emulsification shit like that no it's on my list for sure because i Uh i'm someone who didn't grow up like thinking about salad dressing you know like we would have Mm -hmm. bottled salad dressings but i feel like if you never make it like if you never make salad dressing by hand you don't really think about how it works you know you just get the bottle and you're like yep squirt that on your vegetables let's do it it never separates or anything it's just like oh yep done (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) or if it does separate you just know you're supposed to shake it but you don't really think about like what it is you know mm-hmm. uh, it really wasn't until my adult life that I uh, thought at all about what goes into a salad dressing and uh, now I'm a big fan we have a uh, a fig balsamic vinegar Ooh. that I like to use in salad dressings that's uh, the fig is super subtle I think this is a bullshit product that I'm not going to like <laughs> spend extra on but if it's on sale I'll buy it um, yeah. but it's uh, it's okay. really nice I would actually, I was thinking about this in preparation for this episode. Do you think that a dressing counts as a sauce? I mean, I'm kind of tempted to say yes, because like I, or maybe a sauce is a dressing, you know, because mm. uh, a sauce really has, it's not a soup, right? It's, there's the implication that there's something else <laughs> right. in there that isn't the sauce itself. Mm. Uh, and the same with dressing, there's the implication that there's something in there that isn't the dressing itself, but that it like accentuates or compliments or something like that so honestly probably my answer is that dressing and sauce are of a kind yeah yeah I think that's where I'm at too like I think that things like I think that I think you said it well actually the 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 thing with a sauce is that it is something that you put on something or eat with something it's it can't stand alone on its own I mean, you you could. I, there, there's nothing stopping you from eating, you know, tomato sauce out of a jar. It's just weird. Um, but like, you it know, is weird. yeah. But I think that things like dressings, thing like things like um, condiments, you know, ketchup, mustard, etc. I think these count as sauce. I think they're a kind of sauce, though. Like, you wouldn't put them on a pasta necessarily, but they're like they're a sauce of sorts, you know. Yeah, I think maybe another. Uh... I don't know, qualification, whatever, uh, between sauce and dressing is like proportion as well. Because mm. when I imagine a dressing, I imagine less of it being there sometimes than when I imagine a sauce. Oh, sure. But yeah, yeah, I think condiments for sure. Yeah. You could classify as kind of sauce. That might also come down to preference, though, because thinking about it, like, uh, I don't always want every inch of the thing that I've got sauce on to be sauced, you know? <laughs> Like, yes. I sometimes like it to be a little lighter. Conversely, sometimes I like to just drown my salad in dressing. <laughs> so maybe I'm just a bad person, though. That's, maybe maybe that's they're more alike than than we consider them to be. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's it. It's interesting. <laughs> um, it's interesting that we... So the first half of the show was primarily about pesto, um, which, uh, you know, it's another sauce that binds fat and and a bunch of other things and can be made for way cheaper if you you know make it with your own ingredients instead of buying a jar of it from the store uh like pretty much anything made with a roux um (laughs) but from kind of a a different culinary background obviously like pesto is more italian a bechamel is more french um but i feel like both of them go pretty well with things like pasta and that kind of ties this together nicely you know secretly it was the pasta episode this whole time Whoa! No, I, I couldn't do pasta dirty like that and only talk about sauce on a pasta episode i think i would get killed <laughs> someone someone would hunt me down if i did that oh someone in your life or just the general public one of my patreon supporters probably <laughs> i mean we once had an entire episode of the show that was a like tournament bracket to decide the best pasta shape so I feel like if I did a pasta episode and just tried to sneak it by as just an episode about sauce, I don't think I could. Yeah. I don't think I'd get away with that. I, I feel like also if this was secretly the past episode, we probably could have done a better 
job of highlighting the, the pasta aspects of it yeah exactly i don't think we mentioned pasta at all in fact until just now no yeah probably not um okay so we're we're getting close to the end of the show uh but i do want to ask you one final thing uh related to sauce etc etc and that is what is your and this kind of comes back to the pasta side of it now of course what is your favorite kind of sauce for pasta specifically not to make this the pasta episode. It just feels like a good kind no, no. Of way to bookend it with the with the pesto from the first half. I don't know. I think probably my favorite kind of sauce for pasta, uh, it has some commonalities with bechamel and with pesto. Um, there's spinach in it, as well as uh, basil and garlic and all that shit. Uh, and it's still very creamy, so it can accommodate, like, if you have some, like, chicken chunks or tofu or even mussels. Mm. So a uh, creamy white which I suppose makes sense considering I've been brought here to discuss bechamel. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. That that's not that's not an Alfredo specifically, though. It's like, uh, it it's doesn't its have to be an Alfredo, but okay. Alfredo would fit in there. Yeah, I do really like a white sauce on pasta. I don't know that much about Alfredo, but doesn't it not usually have like other shit in it? Isn't it pretty down uh, and dirty? You got pepper. You got your. Hmm. You know, it's interesting. Stuff. I think Alfredo is maybe the cheese version of a bechamel <laughs> oh it's a cheese sauce <laughs> yeah oh, I'm looking at it. it's like it's like mostly butter and parm that sounds great that does sound great i'm a big fan <laughs> of a cream sauce with mushroom in it um, mm. which feels like a ridiculous thing to say when i you know opened this segment up by confessing that i use cream and mushroom soup in my you know mac and cheese um but i do think there's something really uh the way that mushrooms play with garlic and butter is like nothing else in the world uh and i love to incorporate that into a sauce absolutely well i tell you what um it is on brand for you considering your earlier confession yeah <laughs> that's it it's uh i'm not a i'm not ridiculous it's just a branding no. thing. i'm apparently yeah. a mushroom person you're the mushroom person with the cream and the sauce yeah no i love mushrooms. they're so they're so good have you ever made like a like that mushroom butter stuff mushroom butter it's sort of like a butter I mean, it's like a, it's like when you make a, you know, when you flavor butter like something. Oh, sure. So yeah. You, you just put a lot of butter in with the mushrooms when you're cooking them and then you get your amazing, delicious mushrooms and you also like put the butter in a bowl and wait for it to harden up again and then you can put it on shit like oh, bread. Oh, I have never thought to do that. It's pretty good. That does sound good. Because yeah, <laughs> I, I love a good like garlic butter mushroom. I've never thought to mm-hmm. set the butter aside after and reuse it. That's so smart. Yeah. I have to start doing that. We're learning so much here tonight. That's together. it. That's the goal of the show. It's to learn together. It's to, you know, I, I don't like to think of myself as an authority on anything because uh, oh. <laughs> horrifying. I'm super duper not. But I like to think of this as a, a learning experience. Absolutely. I tell you what, I kind of hope no one considers me an authority on anything because then I might get like angry emails about how I'm doing French cooking wrong. By the way, everyone, make sure put nutmeg in your bechamel. I forgot to say that earlier. Don't don't come at me. <laughs> Please. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Lots of nutmeg, just just a, an absurd amount of nutmeg. Take an entire yeah. nut and meg it. Yeah. What, oh. is, what is nutmeg made of? Is it walnut? Sorry, megging or, or negging? <laughs> Either way. Oh, it's just a seed. I thought it was like. Yeah, it's it's just its own thing. <laughs> I've but... always assumed it was like ground version of some kind of nut, but it is in fact well, its own. It's its, it's own. It's the thing. nutmeg that's ground. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's also a hallucinogen. Yeah. In, in large enough quantities, I guess. Yeah, so not too much nutmeg, just the right amount. Unless you want to have a wild night. <laughs> that seems like a really sad way to get to get high. Yeah, well, but okay, but if you put a shit ton of nutmeg in a bechamel, and then you put it on pasta, and then you put some mushrooms in there, <gasps> and then you eat it, that sounds like a great way to be <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, uh, that feels like a good place for us to wrap up. <laughs> Oh my god! Well, thank you so much for joining us. This was uh, this was a lot of fun. It was just the right level of informative, I think. <laughs> I now feel a little bit more like I understand what the point of a roux is. Uh, I definitely feel like I understand what goes into a bechamel, which is specifically uh, a roux, <laughs> uh, cream, <laughs> yeah, uh, just an entire bucket of nutmeg, and uh, absolutely never cheese. <laughs> unless it's evolving like a pokemon yeah exactly hold up hold up we can't wrap now because we have to talk about pokemon if bechamel <laughs> if bechamel is the first stage and bechamel with cheese is the second stage what's the final form 
I think when the protein comes in, it's the third form. Mm, okay, okay. You said you're Jewish, so I'm going to guess not bacon. Yeah. Well, I'm not kosher. Okay. No, bacon would be pretty good. Cause I, yeah, because I'm like, kind of thinking, like, so far this sounds like it would go really well with bacon. But, like, mm. you know, for for any kosher listeners, could also <laughs> go really well with chicken, I guess. Yeah. Can you do chicken with if you keep kosher? Okay. I can't remember. I feel like there's probably yeah, different I mean, it's our, there's already dairy in it, so right. you're kind of fucked. Um, yeah. I just wasn't sure if, if chicken counts. Anyway. That's not uh, what the topic is. Today. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, I lobster. feel like you're put lobster in it. Lobster, and then you're safe. yeah, exactly. Lobster is no, definitely that's, kosher. That's a joke. Yeah, <laughs> just checking. Say, Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the trick. You want a you want a good kosher bechamel? Just fill it with seafood. Yeah, can't, can't go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> oh I'll my goodness. Good. Uh, speaking Carbonara of... is good. I just want pasta now. You ever get uh, pasta casareccia? No. Oh, it's a good spot. You're in NDG, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's like next door to Cosmos down on Sherbrooke. Oh no, I, I see it. I've seen it on the 105. It's the one that I always confuse with the lamp store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. It's it's in the same spot as the lamp store, but one block over and yeah. like decorated very similarly. Similarly colored. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is awesome. It's um, they they're on Uber Eats. I would highly recommend it if you're ever like craving really good pasta that you don't have to make yourself. Mm-hmm. Very very right. good. I will. Definitely pasta them up ha. the next time. I'm feeling like treating myself to some very good pasta. <laughs> Definitely. You you absolutely should. Great. Well, thank you um, so much for joining us on Up for Discussion. Uh, do you have anything yeah. you want to plug before I let you go? Uh, I mean, sure. I you do. Maybe I will <laughs> plug the show that you are having on your website for us because we are in the Up for Network. Yeah. Ha <laughs> ha. So October Jones and Fish with Legs is a podcast as you've heard uh it's lighthearted and kid-friendly but it also has like some pretty topical themes that grown-ups can also enjoy it's very socially engaged uh but it's also just clean fantasy fun we have a lot of fun making it and we think people will have fun listening to it too i'm enjoying uh, it a lot so far short. oh and i noticed you pronounced my last name correctly with no prompting so i can tell you've been listening to the show because <laughs> <laughs> people don't usually guess that right yeah i uh i kind of eagerly awaited the launch date and then binged the first few episodes and now i've been listening Aww. as they come out it's very good um i in the past have like plugged shows you know just in passing because i've mm-hmm. really enjoyed the sound design on them uh, and this yeah. is another situation where uh if you're listening to this and you're like i really like shows with like really nice fun like interesting sound design you definitely need to listen to this uh it's very good <laughs> i've been Thank really impressed so with what you guys are doing uh we work so hard so it's really nice to hear that from you especially considering you're so experienced everything aside it is very very good and i think people uh if you're not listening to it yet you should be it's super fun Thank it's nice so much, it's Bob. nice to get like a it's I, it hadn't occurred to me that it's family friendly until mm-hmm. you mentioned it but like yeah it totally is and that's that's the mark of good family friendly content is when the people listening to it haven't even clocked that it's family friendly, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um but we're very we're very conscious too that um you know, we might have younger listeners, so uh mm. we've we've put effort in to making it something for the whole family to enjoy. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> yeah, so the title officially is October Jones ampersand fish with legs but you can find us um all our usernames and all our accounts we've got Facebook Instagram Spotify up for Apple podcast Google podcast whatever 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 syndicated it's great it's um is October and fish that is our username so you can usually find us through that yeah as well that's it if you look up October and fish uh you mm-hmm. will f- uh, October Jones and Fish, because if you look up October yeah. and Fish, you get a lot of Animal Crossing players' you guides. Do, and just like fishing <laughs> stuff. But hey, you can also go to the Upford website. Yes. We also have our own website, which is just octoberandfish.ca. It's so, such a good website, too. I, <laughs> Thank you. I feel like I'm like complimenting you guys a lot, but it's because we haven't spoken since you launched. And uh, I, I know. I'm just like dumping all of this now. You're doing a very good job. Keep it up. Thank you so much, Tom. <laughs> All right, that's it. That brings us to the end of our show for this week. I hope you guys have enjoyed it, and thank you so much for listening. Do you have a favorite kind of sauce? Do you have a favorite sauce to cook? I know that my favorite sauce to cook is uh, just a meat-based pasta sauce. It's kind of, you know, simple and straightforward, but I love it. I love something hearty, and I love meat and tomatoes. (laughs) That's where I'm at today, guys. It's been a long week (laughs) due to, 
you know, the whole election thing that's going on. That God, if if we don't know the results by the time this episode comes out, I'm gonna lose my mind. We're recording this on Friday. I'm gonna lose my mind if by Monday we still don't know who the president is. I mean, it's gonna be Biden. I hope. Anyway, I'm so tired. <laughs> Thank you for taking time out of what has probably been an equally exhausting week for you in light of all of this to listen to Up for Discussion. Um, if you have anything you want to say to me about this episode, you can do that on Twitter at Down With Talking. Uh, we're also on Instagram at Down With Talking, so please follow us on both of those if you use those platforms. And don't forget to like our page on Facebook. If you like the show and you want to help us make it even better, you can head to patreon.com slash up for discussion to donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you'd be joining the ranks of fine folks like Patrick, Gabriel, Kendall, and Carlea, Thomas, George, Poppy, Killian, Sarah, Angelica, Anne, Andrew, Laura, Kate, Erica, and Chantal. The same Chantal you heard at the beginning of this episode. That's right. Sometimes I get my patrons on the show. I'm just saying that if you're a patron of the show, you're going to have a pretty easy time building some kind of a relationship with me, and then you might be able to even be on the show and talk about food. Isn't that exciting? For as little as a dollar? Come on! do it anyway again that is patreon.com slash up for discussion we also have merch uh, if you want to buy some merch with our logo on it you can do that by hitting the merch link in the description to get all sorts of great stuff from our lovely friends over at t public and of course you can support the show for free by leaving a rating or review on your podcatcher of choice and by sharing the episode with a friend i would really really love it if you did that i'm trying to get as many itunes or apple podcast reviews as humanly possible because it is the cheapest and most effective way for the show to grow our theme music is by zach ingles and our cover art is by david flam you can and frankly should find links to support both of them in the description of this episode and last but not least this show is produced and edited by me tom zala and i as part of the upford network you know the upford network where you can listen to october jones and fish with legs the show that elizabeth is on it's very good and also a lot of other shows you can find out about all of them at upfordnetwork.com see you next week I officially have a two-year-old now, if you're wondering why I'm so exhausted. My my kid turned two on the same week as the most exhausting U.S. election in my lifetime. <laughs> oh, God. See you next week. I hope you understand. It just takes a little time. It takes a little time. It takes... October Jones, Hi, and this I'm is... I'm Fish With Legs. I'm a fish with legs. Fish. I'm the elemental creature of water, and I'm here to tell you about my podcast called October Jones and Fish With Legs, starring me and my best friend, <laughs> October Jones. Nailed it. October and Fish is a fictional series that follows me and Fish With Legs as we try to stop an evil two-headed snake from releasing a terrible monster. And make friends, and go on adventures, and get captured a lot, and escape a lot, and encounter racism. And what? And learn very special lessons every third episode. I have not learned a single lesson. Yes, you did. We learned about being friends, and authoritarianism, and colonialism, and how to defeat a giant crab. Authoritarianism? They're in authority for a reason, Fish With Legs. If everyone followed the rules set in place by the human government, then there wouldn't be- Wait for adults and kids. <laughs> New episodes on Mondays. You can find it wherever you find podcasts, and of course, on the Upford website. Okay, that's it. Bye! Hi there, I'm Nick Hughes, the son. And I am James Hughes, the father. Together, we co-host Canada's Young Leaders, a podcast exploring bold ideas for our country's future. Our third and final season focuses specifically on climate change, how we got here, and where we need to go. We'll be speaking with young environmental leaders about the roles of governments, corporations, and individuals in combating this crisis, and also thinking about the role of the COVID-19 pandemic in the climate movement. So, if you're someone who is concerned about climate change and wants to learn more, check out Canada's Young Leaders, a very proud member of the Upford Network.